we're in our series called The List. And basically what The List is, is it's out of Second Peter. And it's this thing that God has given us that says life isn't just about going day to day. Um, it's about it's about something more than that. It's not just surviving, right? And we'll, we'll get to the kind of the point we were talking about, but it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 11. We talked about life, and, and, and the list talks about this, is the idea of participating in the divine nature, okay? God wants us not just surviving, and we get that verse um, right here. It says, through these he has given us his great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. We started talking about what that looks like to be created by God and to, and to make it through life the way Jesus made it through life. As a matter of fact, we see this here. It says, for if you possess these qualities, the quality of the list, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's not, just, there's this thing about life. It's not just going day to day. And the, the kind of thing that we talked about with it was we said life is more than coping. It's, it's not just going, man, I hope I get through my job today. I hope I get through this marriage. I hope I get, it's, it's, it's way more than just coping. Life is not just to be lived, oh man, I, I got this struggle I've had my whole life. I got to get rid of this addiction or that. It's to participate in the divine nature. This is how God, God designed us. And for some of us, this idea is so foreign to us. Because in our marriage or in our job or in our, wor- uh, uh, in our uh, neighborhood or maybe at school, you're just surviving. And that is not what God has for you. Those who have a relationship with Christ Jesus, those who are filled with his spirit, life is more than just coping. And so... We talked about uh, the first thing in that being um, goodness. And uh, we said that, um, that goodness means moral excellence. And, and it's the idea that God wants you holy. Like if, if we don't accept the goodness part, if we're just like, oh, no, man, you can, you can live life any way you want. It's grace. Grace gets you saved, right? And and, and so we don't earn our salvation. We talked about this that first week. We don't earn our salvation. We don't, good, 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 good. And all of a sudden, the red thermometer gets to the top, and it's like, you've reached your goal. You're saved. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But once that happens, God begins a sanctifying process. And, and for some of us on the list, we're just stuck on this goodness part. And so we, the reason we get this goodness thing is it says his divine power, God's divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, his own glory and moral excellence. And so that's the standard he holds us to. He says, he says, be holy because I'm holy. And so if we're going to participate in that divine nature of holiness, the first thing on the list is goodness. Now, we're going to struggle with that, of course. And we've talked about that, you know, a, a lot. But it's this idea that he, by his own glory and goodness. And basically our point to this was that being obedient matters. And, and, and what we've been talking about, as we've seen, and now we're going to come into our third week of the list, where really the list is just us becoming like Christ. He's Christ has given us everything pertaining to life 
and godliness. Who modeled that better than Christ? No one. Jesus had everything pertaining to life and everything pertaining to godliness. And so in this goodness part, uh, our, our thing was that being obedient matters. And then we went to um, knowledge. And the idea of knowledge was, we, we, we discussed, was that you can know something and not do it, and your knowledge is worthless. And that's why we start with goodness, right? You, you can know, I know I'm not supposed to do this, I know I'm supposed to do this, and not do it, your knowledge is useless. If you, in the same way, you can really want to do something but not know how to do it, in which case that knowledge is useless because you don't have it. And so we were talking, what does it mean? What does this knowledge mean? Does it mean that we, we learn more and more about Christ? And we started to open up our eyes that there's something different with the knowledge in the list. And Paul really summed it up in Philippians 3.10. And he says this, come on, baby. That's not what he says, but I don't know why. There we go. He says this. uh, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. If I'm going to know something, if I want to get this knowledge down, I want to know Christ. And then we talked last week about, uh, and and the power of his resurrection, yay! And the fellowship of his sufferings, boo! We talked about knowing Christ. This is the tension of the kingdom of God. There's this blessing, unbelievable blessing, right? And sometimes we can spend a lot of time talking about blessed and being blessed and all this kind of stuff. But then there's this unbelievable sacrifice. Jesus said, what? If you want to live, you got to die. You want to follow me and see all this stuff? You take up your cross. And so we talked about that a little bit. And kind of our, our point with that was, I'm not pointing at you right there, uh, was knowing Christ is becoming like him. Like if we want to know Christ, we're going to begin to become like Christ. Okay. So um, this morning we are uh, actually celebrating. Well, we're, we're not because we're. Whoops. Let me go back one. We are celebrating Lent. Okay. Lent's uh, about fifteen hundred years old. Uh, and if you were Catholic or raised Catholic, you might have gone to uh, the priest and gotten ash put on your head for Ash Wednesday. And the, the idea behind Lent is that it starts 40 days before Easter and it prepares us for the Easter um, for Easter and Good Friday. And so this idea of 40 is important because there's 40 is used all through the Bible, that number uh, 40. As a matter of fact, I wrote some uh, right here. You know, first service, this thing worked perfect. Okay, good. Jesus fasted 40 days. Moses was on the mountain 40 days. The Israelites wandered 40 years. It rained 40 days with Noah. Elijah traveled 40 days to Mount Horeb. Our kids are praying for 40 days. I don't know if you knew that, but in children's ministry, they have a little thing that they pray through every day for 40 days to kind of prepare us for Easter. And if you'd like to join them, there's a prayer guide in the back at the um, welcome table. They would love to have you join them with that. But the idea of 40 is that it's kind of hard. If you're going to fast for 40 days, there's a time in the middle at day 20 where you're thinking, there's no way I'm going to get through this. There's no way, but it has an end. And so this morning, we're talking about that idea of self-control. What, what is self-control? And, 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 and when I say self-control, I, just, I know because I, I know myself, you're thinking about something. There's an idea of self-control for you. Maybe it's, 
I need to work out. Or, oh, he's going to talk about my smoking problem or my drinking problem or my, you know, I I need to watch what I eat or whatever. And this is the problem when we get on a topic of self-control. Is because I can name a whole bunch of things and you go, yeah, I don't know. I don't have self-control in that. I think what we're going to find this morning, just like with knowledge, when we talk about the things of the Spirit, when we talk about a move of the Spirit, when we talk about being controlled by the Spirit, oftentimes these words that are so kind of embedded in our culture and embedded in our vernacular take on a different meaning when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. And don't get me wrong, there's verses all through the scripture that talk about self-control in all sorts of areas. A lot of them are found in uh, Proverbs. Let me see if I can get that. Good gracious. All right. Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Isn't that true? I mean, when you've, had, when you've been out of control in your life, doesn't it feel like you have no defenses whatsoever? It's like anything can happen and, and you're, just, you're just totally helpless. Pro, that's Proverbs uh, 25, 28 that talks about that. Proverbs 21, 20. Uh, man, I think I need a new battery for that remote. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You get a raise, it goes flying out the window. You get a Christmas bonus, it's gone. There's just no self-control. Whereas the person who has self-control in their finances, it seems like that, that when they need something, they got it because they were able to kind of um, manage their life a little better. So there's, there's verses on kind of how we do that. Uh, on Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. In James It talks about, um, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Hey, Ted, could you do me a favor? Can you move that laptop over towards, yep, and just twist it around a little bit? There we go, perfect. That's good. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Oh, that was wonderful. James, all stumble in many ways. If anyone never is at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, if you can control your mouth, you can control anything, right? I know this by, by not necessarily being able to control my mouth, but I know it by knowing how hard it is. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint, right? So there's a whole bunch of ways we can look at self-control. And we all have our ways. You know, if I were to tell you, um, about someone I know who, who gets up in the morning at six in the morning and they work out for an hour every morning and then they have their devotion and then they're on time to work and they work a full day and they don't waste any time at work. I mean, they, they, and then they come home, they fix a very nutritious breakfast because they're also, besides being a lawyer, they're a nutritionist, right? You know, they can control every little part of their body. They can pull every little string. Would you say that person has self-control? They practice cello for an hour at night because they're super smart. And then, and then right before they go to bed, they read their Bible again, or maybe a book from the New York Times bestseller list, and they go to bed, and they wake up in the morning, and they do it all over again. Would you say, man, that person has self-control? Well, we probably would. 
But let's say you got a guy who wakes up every morning at 6 o'clock, every morning, and he makes himself 17 donuts. And he muscles down those donuts, and then he goes to work on time and just, like, works for an hour, comes home, plays Xbox for seven hours. Not seven hours and ten minutes, not six hours and 50 minutes, seven hours. And then he goes at the exact same time, he goes more into debt, $115.76 every day. Just I, not, not a penny over, not a penny under. And then he goes to McDonald's, eats his Big Mac, two of them, every day. And he goes to bed at the exact same time. Would you say that person has self-control? Oy, I don't know. Ah, the donuts. Uh, no, it, it's 17 every day. But with a clockwork, right? So, so we think of self, is self-control monitoring your day perfectly? Is self-control being efficient, right? Is self-control this picture? I love this picture here, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Is, is that self-control? Like you can just sit with the, like somebody puts a cupcake there and you're just like, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not going to look at it, right? Whatever your thing is, whatever your temptation is, is that, is that self-control? We'll have a picture of a cat next week when we talk about perseverance. Um, just owning a cat really is kind of the point there. Um, right? So we, we, we have these ideas of what does what self-control look like? And the problem is what looks like self-control in my life may not be self-control. It might just be how I'm made. And what looks like self-control in your life may not be self-control. That just might be who you are. You may love to organize drawers. It's just what gets you going. And so I come over to your house and I look at your drawers and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like a thing for everything. Oh yeah, wow. You've got self-control. Not necessarily. Maybe your life is completely out of control. Or maybe, maybe cupcakes and donuts don't tempt you one bit. And when the thing goes by and we're out to dinner with somebody and it's like, would you like dessert? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I want four desserts. And the person's like, oh, no, no, thanks. I don't have dessert. We think, wow, what self-control. In fact, they may just hate desserts. But you put a bag of Doritos in front of them. Hmm. Maybe they pound through four bags of that. I don't know who'd ever do that. Right? I don't even know what Doritos are. But, right? But so so see, see what I'm saying? See how this is starting to get to the point where we might be putting pressure on each other when we use the word self-control. And we might be putting pressure on ourselves when we mean self-control. That we start comparing ourselves to other people. Now, don't get me wrong. As we read in the scripture through Proverbs, and there's tons of them. There's a lot of areas in life, a lot of principles that God has put in our, in our lives that we have to follow. You know, the husband of one wife. That is a principle, okay, that applies to 
all of us men who are married, the, 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 the wife of one husband, like those principles of relationships are all there. Uh, the, the debt being, becoming a slave to the master, that's a principle. It doesn't tell us how we spend our money, but it just gives us a principle, and those are all through the scripture. Here's the other part of self-control. While we may think of it as the puppet guy picture there or the dog picture there, there is an aspect that's on us that we just have to control ourselves. There is that aspect. But there's another aspect in Galatians, okay? In Galatians 5, 22, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's an idea that yes, while self-control is on us and we got to control ourselves and don't look at that, don't touch that, don't, don't think that, don't say that. All, there's that whole thing that, that's going on. But there's another thing that as we walk in the Spirit, this begins to manifest itself in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, But I would rather have the help of the Holy Spirit when I'm trying to control myself than trying to do it on my own. I've tried to do many things on my own. And, you know, you get a certain part and and, and it gets defeating, doesn't it? I mean, you go and you try and you try and you try and you get maybe seven days. Maybe you get 10 days, you get 12 days. This is why that that day, those 40 days are so hard because right in the middle of it, you think, I can't do this. And the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit and we begin to control ourselves in order to become like Christ, it begins to become a fruit. Now, how does this happen? How do we get to the point where it's not just us working, 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 working? How do we get to the point where Jesus is is helping us? Now, here's what I, I want us to see. The verse right after this one in Galatians says this powerful statement. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions. Now, that word flesh and passions... Like if I were to say, hey, describe some of the, some of the fleshly stuff and passionate stuff. Oh, we can't talk about that at church. Not the passionate stuff, at least. Maybe the fleshly stuff. I don't, I don't know which, which one's worse, right? This is not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is belonging to Christ. In other words, he owns you. You're in him. He's in control. Here's the point I want to make for us this morning. I think I have it as our our next slide. Yeah. Self-control is ultimately being controlled by Christ. Self-control is ultimately being controlled by Christ. Let me give you an example. Anybody who likes sports, okay? Uh, My girls start track season this week, so we'll we'll pick track just because I'm in it right now. I'm not personally in it. Because I can't run. But they're in it. Let's pick the Olympics. Okay? Every single Olympian. I could be wrong, but I would venture to say 99% of all the Olympians you see have incredible self-discipline, self-control. But they have something else. They have a coach. And oftentimes, that Olympian will never reach the level 
they can reach without that coach. And you'll see them. Sometimes you'll see, like, you know, the, the Olympics are coming up this summer, right? The Summer Olympics are coming up this summer. Yay. Okay, I love the Olympics. But you'll see these stories about these athletes and their coaches and just what they have to go through. And that this coach is up at four in the morning and the athlete's up at four in the morning. And the coach is designing this rigorous plan because here's what we know about coaches. They see the athlete different than the athlete sees himself. Let's pick a, an event. We'll pick pole vault. Okay. Um, uh, I used to do pole vault in high school, but I'd do it over the high jump bar because that's all I could do. Just six feet and I'd hop over and it was a lot of fun. But, but in the pole vault, it's incredibly technical. The pole vault is incredibly technical. And so you've got this, this giant pole and you're running as fast as you can. Which, this is as fast as I can go. Uh, you run as fast as you can. And you have to, while you're in a full sprint, they, they plant the pole in the box. Okay, it stays on here. And you plant the pole in the box. Then you, you, this arm stays straight and you drive your knee right through that pole and you bend down with this. And there's a point where you are completely upside down. Well, that they would the people who knew how to do it. There was never a point I was like that. Uh, but you would be completely upside down, feet pointing up towards the bar, and y- you would go over. Now, there is not a pole vaulter on this planet that knows what they were doing while they were doing it. Now, they get better, and you could say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't have my arms straight or whatever. It's much better to see it from the outside to see where the imperfections are and where the inconsistencies are. This goes on with our finances as well. Instead of a coach, you might have a financial planner. And, and you get kind of into your finances and all this kind of stuff. And you, you have goals and you, you know, maybe you have a retirement goal. And so you've been putting money away for a while and you see that money beginning to grow. Or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you see that debt, you know, you're trying to get out of debt, okay? It doesn't, doesn't matter. You're just doing your thing. And all of a sudden, a financial planner comes and goes, hey, from the outside, you need to do this, 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 and this. And you go, I can't do that. And he goes, oh, yes, you can. Cross out this line item. And you're like, dining out? Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? See, sometimes we don't even think like I can't stop dining out. And the financial planner goes, yes, you can. I've seen this person do it. This person, this, this person, do it. You, you can do it or bring that budget down or look, why are you spending money on this or consolidate this debt? All this kind of stuff. Oftentimes you can have all the self-control you think you can muster. But sometimes when we get a, oftentimes when we get an outside advisor, a coach, um, a, a planner, maybe someone to do your taxes. You, there, was, there was stuff you didn't even know about, exemptions you didn't even know about, right? Sometimes, you, you know, you'll be in a relationship, husband and wife, and things are okay. Things are going great. You, you, you like it. You, 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 know, the, you know, on a scale of one to ten, your relationship's a six or a seven, and, you know, that's what you expect. And all of a sudden, something happens, and you, the wheels start to fall off, and you go to a counselor, And all the patterns that you had in your marriage get exposed. (laughs) Like, wait, how come you talk to her that way? Why don't you talk to... See, and all of a sudden you begin to go, man, I'm an idiot. 
you come to the realization. Praise God, right? It's a counselor, oftentimes an outside person, whether it's your pastor or a therapist or maybe a group of friends or someone holding you accountable, can look at your life and begin to say, that's the problem. And maybe in your whole life, you've got all sorts of self-control. But until someone says, uh, 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 here it is, you've got a problem. This is exactly what Paul is talking about when, he, when he's writing a letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. Check this out. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So here's what Paul begins to say to this church. We're all running in a race. Right? This race, I mean, he says in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We, we, we lay aside every encumbrance and the sin and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? In other words, there's a goal, there's a finish line, there's a, a thing, and, and it's not death. It's not like, oh, if I can just live my life good enough, when I die, I'll go to heaven and I receive the prize. That is not it. God wants us participating in the divine nature. Life is more than just coping. He has a way that you become like Christ for you, the way you're designed, your strengths and all that. Yes, it's turning from your sin. There's no question about all that. But there's something more. He says, when we all run in a race. We run to win. Life is not just coping. And he says, run in such a way that you might win. Well, thanks, Paul. How's that? Do I work really hard? Do I make sure that I'm using the zone diet so I just have the right amount of carbs, the right amount of protein? I mean, like, like what do I do? Do I read my Bible four hours a day? Like, is that, is that how I do it? Well, Paul goes on and he says this. He says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Okay, we know what the parameters are. All things. But, we're all running different races. So self-control in all things outside of the parameters that we know don't lust, don't steal, don't do all that. We, we understand all that kind of stuff. But within that, God is going to prepare a different training regimen for me than he is for you. But it's still going to encompass all things. And where we tend to get, we think, oh, I'm going to run to win. I'm going to run to win. Oh, that guy has a has a quiet time for an hour and a half a day. Someday I'll get there. Maybe God doesn't want you there. Maybe your training regimen is something different. Here's a beautiful thing. With Jesus as your coach, he's going to begin to watch how you perform in the area of life that you're performing in. And he's going to start to say to you, you know what? When you approach the box, I can notice that your elbow's bent just a little bit. Yep, the pole bends. Yep, you make it over. Yeah, you might have gotten a personal record. Good job. If you could just extend that arm a little bit more, you're going to get another six inches, another foot off of your, off of your uh, pole vault. When, when, in long jump, you know, they, 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 the faster you go, the farther you go, okay, in the long jump. If your form is incorrect, when you take off of that little strip, it doesn't matter how fast you run. 
If, if you don't get enough vault, you, your speed won't carry you. And so there's a ton of technique. And oftentimes we focus on our speed, 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 speed. Oh, I want to be fast. The faster you run, the farther you jump. The faster you run, the farther you jump. And God's going, slow down. We've got to get some things in order in your life first. We've got to get your approach right. We've got to get the way you take off first. If you're a musician, you see this too. You know, when you, if you play guitar or ever wanted to play guitar, what, who do you want to play like? Eddie Van Halen, right? I mean, that's who I wanted to play like. Or, you know, some, some guy who's just blazing fast. And so what you do typically is you learn some cool riff or a scale or something, and you just try to get faster and faster and faster. If you don't have the right timing when you, when you begin practicing, you're just going to get fast at being bad, Okay, you, you'll be able to run that thing really fast, but it'll be all over the map. It, it'll be horrible. And here's the thing. God may be telling you to slow down and let's start from the basics again. Do you know, listen, how much self-control that takes to go backwards in order to go forwards? If we go back to that lawyer guy who wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning and, 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 he, and, he, and he works out and he does all this kind of stuff and his job is, he does everything right and he plays the cello for an hour and all this kind of stuff and, and he doesn't have his anger under control and his life, oh, it looks so self-controlled. But God, his coach, looks and goes, dude, you are... You are wait, You need to go backwards. We've got to go backwards and get these fundamentals down before you can move forward. And he's going, oh, no. You know how much self-control that takes? A lot. So he says, everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. We do it to do an imperishable wreath. So then it says this. Whoops. Let me go back one. Therefore... I run in such a way as not without aim. I don't just add stuff to my life because I'm supposed to add stuff. I box in such a way as not just beating the air, right? I, I just don't go crazy. Oh, I worked up a sweat. Therefore, I'm self-controlled. Mm-mm. I don't, I don't run in such a way as not without aim. I don't box in such a way as not beating the air. Listen, this is the beautiful thing. We're going to see it in this very next verse. It's a beautiful thing about a life in Christ. He's watching your form in all of it. And he's got a plan. And he doesn't want you to be self-controlled in one area when you've got to go back and back and back to something else. We, we talked about having your quiet time. He, you know, it's like I have a quiet time for an hour and a half. You know what? Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should cut it down to 15 minutes and work on, work on being obedient in this area of your life. Maybe instead of memorizing the whole Bible, you should just practice this verse and get this down. See, and here's the thing. This is the beauty of our relationship with Christ. He has a vested interest in in telling you these things. He doesn't want to hide it from you, just like any coach wouldn't hide it from you. He's on your team. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you just coming up with a training regiment, my training regiment. Well, Pastor John, what he does is he wakes up and eats, you know, uh, Fruit Loops, and then he has a thing. And I, like, that has nothing to do with, that's the beauty of it. 
how long my quiet time is, whatever I do, whatever, has nothing to do with that. God has a specific training regimen for you because he doesn't want you continually doing the same things you've always done and just add some spiritual stuff to it to make it all better. That's not what he wants to do. He wants your form great from the beginning and then you get faster and you get farther. So he says this. He says, therefore, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What does it mean to be disqualified? You don't make it to heaven? (laughs) That's not it. See, the Lord has for each of us this vision of participating in the divine nature, that we wouldn't be unproductive and ineffective, that God has this thing laid out that, that when you, whatever event you're competing in, whether it be long jump, pole vault, 100-yard dash, it's all going to look different to us. The principles will be the same, but it's all going to look different. That's why I can, you can watch something I can't watch or I can ha- eat something you can't eat or, or whatever. God works all that kind of stuff out. He says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. The point is we make our bodies our slave in reaction to what God is telling us to do. As a matter of fact, we're going to leave some time for this right now as Luke comes back up. It's, it's Lent season. And again, you can say that's a Catholic thing and I'm not going to do a Catholic thing. Fine, whatever. Just congratulations because we're starting on Sunday. You got four free days. Okay? Because it really for everyone else it started on Wednesday. So you're off the hook for four days. But what if God is asking you to fast something from here till Easter? What would it be? Well, if God were telling, if God could pick an area of your life and he, 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 were just, you, he was able to sit and do a private one-on-one coaching session. He said, come here, let me look at your form and let's go over your week. And he just watches you through your whole week and goes, ooh, ouch, ugh. Well, here's what we're going to do. Is there something he'd pick? Is there, is there an area that he'd go, yeah, you know what? Slow down. We're going to go back to the basics. Now, for some of us, when we think, well, okay, 40 days, I'm going to fast something. I'm going to maybe pick something up. Oftentimes, we like to go to things like working out. You know what? I'm going to work out. To what end? Okay, you're 10 pounds lighter, but you still got the issues that maybe Christ wants to work on. Maybe it's a quiet time. I'm going to have my quiet time every morning. Okay. To what end? To make you feel more spiritual? Like what is the thing Jesus is telling you you need to work on? Why, are you, why do you want to have your quiet time in the morning? Is it to become like him? Is it to hear his voice every morning? Is it, is, it, is it to just look up and find something? Okay, good, I'll work on that today. And, okay. Or is it, to, is it to hear his voice going, you know what? We're going to get that anger thing nailed. We're going to get that hitch in your, when you come and you drive through, we're going to get that elbow straightened out. Those are the things God wants. To, if it's working out every day because the God says, look, we, I want you doing something every day, fine. But let it be from him. We- 